welcome to episode 39 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And can you believe that we're nearly at episode 40. So I need some of your ideas of what to do when we hit our 50th episode. Should we have a podcast party? Should we turn the podcast over to our vegan business tribe members to host instead? So if you've got any ideas, please do email me or send me a message and then we can see if we can make that happen. Because we have built this community around our members by engaging with you, by helping you and learning what problems you have and how we can use that to help you build a more successful vegan business. And if you're not part of Vegan Business Tribe yet, so if you only listen to this podcast and you're not actually part of our community, if you're not coming to our networking meetups and you're not seeing all the content, the events and the courses on the website then you're really missing out on 90% of what Vegan Business Tribe is. And the reason that we can keep putting out this podcast every week is because we're supported by hundreds of Vegan Business Tribe members in our absolutely stunning, just amazing community of vegan business owners and professionals. People just like you who are helping Lisa and myself not just to champion the vegan business scene, but actively work to skill up vegan businesses also. So if you want to support the work we're doing, then I would love you to head over to veganbusinesstribe.com and to sign up as a member for just £12.99 a month. Now, that's the equivalent of buying just a single cup of coffee a week from your local coffee shop. And you get so much more than a cup of mediocre coffee from Vegan Business Tribe in return. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Although we're based in the UK and we've got lots of UK members, we've also got members in Canada, South America, in the States, in Europe... Africa, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, and everywhere in between. Because I like to say we're all bound together by our vegan ethics, not by our geography. And before we start with something of a chocolatey episode this week, again, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Vegan Business Tribe Slack Posse. And if you've never heard of Slack, then that's going to sound like a really weird sentence to you. But Slack is the discussion app that we use to keep in touch with all our Vegan Business Tribe members. It's not like being part of an annoying WhatsApp group or Facebook group. It's more like a forum that you can use on your phone or on your desktop that all our Vegan Business Tribe members get access to support each other and also to chat with myself and Lisa. And recently in our Slack channel, we've been sharing details of a lot of grants that are open to vegan businesses at the moment. We've been having conversations about what investors are looking for in a pitch deck. And also, a lot of members have been using the Slack group for brainstorming ideas and for getting feedback 
feedback from other vegan business owners. One member has even been using it to promote a new vegan book club. And yes, I'm looking at you there, Victoria, from Happy Carrot Skincare. And it's also where I get a lot of ideas for this podcast. You know, just seeing what people are talking about and what questions keep coming up. So if you're part of a Slack group already, then a big shout out to you for making my phone ping all the time with your responses and your questions. And if you're not, then just sign up to Vegan Business Tribe over on the website and we'll send you an invite to join. Now, If you're a member of one of the many vegan Facebook groups here in the UK, you'll probably have seen the absolute outrage last week as chocolate giant Cadbury revealed that its Bourneville giant chocolate buttons are no longer vegan. And I say they revealed it, but it was actually first spotted by eagle-eyed vegans that the supermarket online listing for the product now had milk listed in the ingredients. And you might not be familiar with Cadbury Bourneville as a product line and a brand, but it's their dark chocolate range that many new vegans perform backflips over when they realise that it's accidentally vegan. A bit like when you realise that Oreo biscuits are vegan, even though they come confusingly seem to have an illustration of milk on the front of the pack. And you have to understand how much of a cult vegan icon, especially here in the UK, Cadbury's Bourneville is. They make Bourneville giant chocolate buttons, Bourneville rum and raisin bars, chocolate orange bars. And if you went vegan for your health, then I'm sorry to break it to you that you can even get Bourneville chocolate fingers. Now, you would ask yourself... When you've got such a huge following of people buying your one product line that doesn't contain milk, and you've got other product lines that do contain milk and that cater for that market, then why would you take such a backward step of adding milk to that recipe? And you do get companies doing things like this all the time. Flora who are known for their plant-based margarine products as an alternative to butter. They started adding buttermilk to their main range, they said, because of customer feedback. Well, I don't think they were ready for the absolute tsunami of customer feedback that came from the angry vegans once the change became known, again largely through the vegan Facebook groups. And it was missed by many people that milk had been added as an ingredient because the packaging change was really subtle, meaning that customers were accidentally picking up the product, not realising that it now had milk in it, and that they actually had to go and look for the separate non-milk version. What a great way to lose the trust of a dedicated and, in some cases, evangelical customer base. Not just of vegans, but people who are lactose intolerant or don't identify as vegan, but like to avoid dairy products. So what is actually going on at Cadbury Bourneville? Why would they take a popular product with such a dedicated following and add an ingredient without even making an attempt to let the public know? Just quietly slip it into the ingredients list. Well, 
It's that last point that I made about people with allergens. Because when we reached out to Cadbury to ask them about the reason for changing the recipe for Pornville chocolate buttons, they came back with the reply that, actually, they hadn't. So how can you have a product with no non-vegan ingredients one day? You don't change the recipe, but the next day you've got milk listed in the ingredients list. Well, the product already had the may contain disclaimer at the end of the ingredients. You know, may contain milk, packaged in an environment that also handles nuts, etc, etc. But it turns out that this may contain was actually a does contain. Not because they add in milk when making the product, but just from the cross-contamination from everything else they make in their factories. There wasn't a chance that the product contained milk. It did contain milk because it was made on the same equipment as their other lines. So the milk, it's always been there even though it wasn't listed in the ingredients, and probably not in huge quantities. And even though they're not actively adding milk to the product as part of its recipe, it's in that product when it leaves the factory. And this is something that we lose sight of when we get excited and embrace certain products as vegan consumers. A few episodes back, we took a look at what was happening at Oatly. So how a company that was being championed by vegans worldwide one day was then being boycotted the next because of some of the ethical decisions they were making in the business. But Oatly, it isn't a vegan company. They just happened to make a product that is really popular with vegans. It wasn't founded on vegan values. So when we hold these companies to account against our own vegan standards, they're always going to fall short. And the same is true of Cadbury. Cadbury always famously claimed that a glass and a half of milk went into each of their dairy milk bars. That's about 400 millilitres of milk. And they sell about a million bars of dairy milk a day, globally. That's 400,000 litres of milk a day that Cadbury's use in just that one product. So are you shocked when a company who is contributing this much to the dairy industry, that's funding milk production on a huge industrial scale, make what seems to be non-vegan decisions? Well, you shouldn't be shocked. And if you are holding them to the same vegan standards, just like Oatly, just like Flora Margarine, then you're always going to be in for a letdown. But this isn't the full story of what's actually going on. Because, of course, Cadbury would love to continue picking up the vegan customers with no extra effort. They would prefer that when consumers' buying habits changed, that instead of losing that customer, they instead moved from one of their products to another. And consumers would still love to have the familiar Cadbury chocolate taste that they've grown up with. But the law around allergens in food, it's really starting to get serious. And milk is a huge allergen to many people because we're not supposed to have 
cow milk. In fact, you're not supposed to consume milk at all. Past infancy, it's the food equivalent of still wearing a nappy or a diaper when you're 30. That's why Oatly decided to make oat milk after research in the 1990s showed that the majority of the world's population was, in some form, lactose intolerant. And that's why here in the UK especially, some ingredients that people are allergic to, they have to be listed in bold to make them easy to spot on the packet, which is also a real help for vegans trying to spot if a product has milk or egg in it. And these laws, they're starting to toughen up. And it doesn't matter if you don't actively add something like milk as an ingredient. If a product comes out of your factory every single time with milk in it, then you need to let people know. A may contain disclaimer, that doesn't really cut it. And that seems to have been the case with Cadbury Bourneville. Now, this is still a fairly recent story, so more facts might come to light and they might even reverse the decision after the public backlash, even though I doubt it. But from the responses I've seen from Cadbury, it seems like even though they didn't list milk as an ingredient on the packet, it's always been there in the product. Now, for vegans, that's distressing. But for people with a milk allergen, that could be deadly. So, this is all very interesting. But this is Vegan Business Tribe, not the Vegan Chocolate Lovers podcast. Although, if I'm being honest, that's one we're probably qualified to launch as well. But why did I want to talk about this today? What can we learn as businesses from what's been going on at Cadbury? Well, the first thing I always think when I see these stories in the Facebook groups and in, you know, in the vegan news is what advice would Lisa and myself give if we were consulting with the company? So if we were consulting with Cadbury, there's a fairly clear course of action. You simply launch the vegan version. They already have the recipe and they've already got the distribution and they know that they'll get away with charging a premium for a while after the launch. And that at the moment, indulgent vegan product launchers by brands such as Nestle and Mars, they still make huge ripples. Take a look at the vegan Kit Kat, the vegan Galaxy Bar, the vegan Magnum ice cream. And I know that Cadbury's has had their R&D department working on vegan chocolate for at least three years now, possibly more. So that might well be the plan. But they've already got a product that they know customers love. So move the production to a vegan factory that doesn't handle dairy or lease somebody else's. Or at the very least, set up a separate line that doesn't use shared equipment. Then you've got a quick entry to market for a new vegan product that you know has already got a customer base and you know will make the news. But as vegans, we actually want this to be a problem for companies like Cadbury. And I was in a session a couple of years ago with the head of research and development at Quorn. And he said that for a vegetarian business, they were very uncomfortable about the amount of animal derived ingredients in their products, namely egg. 
And they have spent millions of pounds in a number of years trying to find a replacement for egg whites that got the same test taste results with their customer focus groups. In that time, however, other companies have started out with new meat replacement products that never had any animal ingredients in them in the first place and that were acceptable and suitable to everyone. And Quorn have found themselves late to the vegan party. Quorn should have been leading this marketplace. They have been producing meat replacement products since the 80s. But those meat replacement products were always reliant on egg whites, and they're now struggling to catch up. And this idea of inclusivity is going to be something we're going to see more of as the vegan market matures. Because why produce several versions of a product when you can produce one product that everyone can consume? Why have a vegan Kit Kat bar and a non-vegan Kit Kat bar if a one without animal products in it tastes just as good and you can move a population onto that one? And we've seen this happening with brands like Goo Puds. They released their new cheesecakes onto supermarket shelves that were vegan, gluten-free, lactose-free and everything else-free. So it was a single product that can be enjoyed by everyone in the family and a non-vegan wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Now, Vegan Business Tribe member Heather Landex is the author of the book Inclusive is the New Exclusive, How the Food Service Industry Can Stop Leaving Money on the Table. And in her book, she introduces the concept of the lowest common denominator. And she explains it as this. When people are looking for a place to eat out... It's the person with the food allergy or the dietary preference that dictates where that group eats. So if you've got a group of five people and one person is vegan, then the group goes to the place that caters really well for vegans, even though it's only one out of the five. And if you work in the food service industry, I would really advise picking up a copy of Heather Landex's landmark book about how you can often cover all the bases and have allergen-free, animal-free, dietary preference-friendly food options as the majority of the food you serve. And if you mainly cater for that term, a typical eater, then you're actually missing out a huge part of your audience. As Heather puts it, inclusive really is the new exclusive. And the same can apply to businesses making products, not just restaurants and food service. Why have vegan wines and non-vegan wines when most consumers wouldn't be able to tell the difference? And if the majority of your consumers knew that you filtered your wine through fish bladders, they probably wouldn't touch it ever again. And we know that 50% of the population here in the UK report that they have some form of vegan buying behaviour without identifying as vegan. And this is mostly in the food that they eat. So they might have meat-free days or they've switched to plant milk instead of cow milk. But they are also choosing cosmetics that are cruelty-free because, ironically, they're not OK with animals being tested on, but they are OK with them 
been killed to eat. But hey, we've all had to face our own hypocrisies when we turned vegan. So I'm not the one to judge. Or people are turning away from animal products in clothing. And again, let's not talk about people petitioning Canada Goose to remove fur from their products whilst wearing leather shoes. Now, I know I'm in danger of going a bit preachy vegan now, aren't I? But all these companies, they have learned that if they can bring out a product that covers all these bases, that is suitable to everyone, no matter what your dietary preferences are, no matter what your religious beliefs are, and no matter what your ethics and allergies, then they can sell to a huge marketplace. Because the key to having a mass market product is having one that can capture multiple niches. And like Oatly, even if a company wasn't set up on vegan ethics, they can still build up a loyal following in each of those separate niches. But for those products that have, well, up until now, been what we call accidentally vegan... Cadbury's move to start listing milk as an ingredient in their Bourneville chocolate buttons, and this is an icon of accidentally vegan products, that highlights a problem that these companies have with not fully engaging with this marketplace. And we are seeing more and more companies setting up separate vegan factories. Take a look at Moo Free Chocolate. They have a vegan chocolate factory that sends zero waste to landfill. And if you're a chocolate manufacturer, you can have your vegan product made there by Moo Free with no chance of any cross-contamination. And as the laws tighten on labelling allergens, I suspect that we will see more accidentally vegan products also turn out not to be. And one of those big laws, which again, I first heard about from Heather Landex when we spoke about her book, is the PPDS law or the Prepackaged for Direct Sale law. And it's more commonly known as Natasha's law. And this is due to come in from the 1st of October 2021 in the UK. This new law means that any food that you make and serve on your premises, such as in a cafe or if you're a takeaway, also has to be labelled with a full ingredients list with any allergens emphasised within that list. And this new transparency will be a great thing for vegan consumers. No more will we be asked to believe that your lovely cakes are actually vegan. You've got to prove it to us. But it also gives an extra level of security for people with allergies. And this is where it came from. The reason it's called Natasha's Law is because of a tragic death of teenager Natasha Ednan Laparus, who suffered a fatal reaction after eating a baguette bought from a very high-profile sandwich shop that didn't list sesame seeds as an ingredient, even though they were present. But it's also why we'll see more and more companies turn to schemes like the Vegan Society's Vegan Trademark, which, as well as making sure that there are no animal ingredients in the recipe, they also require companies to manage the chance of cross-contamination. And the more products that we find actually had milk or other animal products in them all along, because they're made on the same machines as non-vegan products, you know, to the point where they're having to list it as an ingredient 
then the more companies and brands will come under pressure to prove that their accidentally vegan products are actually vegan. On social media, we're already seeing people ask this question. If Cadbury's Bourneville products has milk in it, what about Oreos? What about Fry's chocolate? And what about Lotus Biscoff and many brands of bourbon biscuits? If instead I bought these products from a vegan company that only makes their products in vegan factories, then the chance of finding out afterwards that they were not actually vegan, that's seriously reduced. So let's just come back to the original question to make sure I've had a decent go at answering it about what's actually going on with Cadbury Bourneville giant chocolate buttons and why are they not vegan anymore? And the simple answer is that they never were, truly, in the first place, nor did they ever really claim to be. And they're not the first company to have things in their products that were not listed in the ingredients, and they won't be the last. They were not technically breaking any laws. The milk wasn't an active ingredient, but nor were they making any claims to be vegan either. And this is why, to them, it's a purely technical matter. It's a simple rollout of an updated ingredients list, just like they do several times a year. They saw no need to either shout about it, you know, put a flash on the side of a packet saying, now with extra milk, or to update people about it. To them, nothing has changed. It's just business as usual. And that's been represented in the tone of the replies that they've sent to customers. And I suspect that the negative backlash they have got, that that's also taken them by surprise. Another of our Vegan Business Tribe members, Coral McLeod from Rebel Mama, is a branding and design consultant. And she started a campaign highlighting to brands how the packaging of their vegan and non-vegan versions is really confusing to customers such as Quorn's vegetarian ham slices and their vegan ham-free slices being sold in almost identical packs, or Hellman's organic mayo and vegan mayo being very easy to get mixed up if you're on a busy shopping trip with your toddler, as Coral was when she accidentally bought both these products instead of the vegan versions. And she is a graphic design expert. So... Although it sometimes feels like we're living in a golden age as vegan consumers, and in many ways we are, but these kind of stories still highlight how far brands have to go in understanding the consumer and the marketplace. And that's where you can step in as a vegan business. The way to take on the big brands entering the vegan marketplace is with your unique vegan ethics. Unlike Cadbury, your customers know that your product is not going to leave a factory having picked up enough milk on its way through to have to list it as an active ingredient on your packaging. Okay, so let's just run over a couple of takeaway points about what we can actually learn from Cadbury Bourneville giant chocolate buttons, that mainstream of accidentally vegan products turning out actually not to be. So number one, 
Don't be surprised when non-vegan companies make non-vegan decisions and recognise that this is how you can actually connect with your customers better. You share the same ethics as your customers and you can use that. Point two. These companies who are trying to make vegan versions of a product that they already have, they're actually at a disadvantage. People like Quorn, who should be at the forefront of vegan meat replacement products, they're actually playing catch-up with companies who didn't have to convince their current customers that the vegan version of their product was just as good. 3. Inclusivity is important. If you can make a product that is suitable for everyone, no matter what their dietary preference or their allergies, then you have a single product that you can sell to everyone. Mass market products, they cover many different niches. So take a leaf out of Heather Landex's book. Inclusive is the new exclusive. Point four. If you do run a business where you make and sell food on your own premises, then there are new laws coming that means you have to be a lot clearer in your labelling and make it clear what allergens are present. And we're going to see food transparency becoming more prevalent. And I suspect that actually, in packaging and labelling, a lot of the next moves we'll see will be to highlight how healthy or sustainable the food is. And point five... Companies do hear when consumers make a noise. Their customer service department getting flooded when they take a step like Cadbury's took on this product is how they learn. And again, when you see this happen to a company, you can use this to highlight that as a vegan business, customers don't have to worry about your product being vegan or getting your vegan and non-vegan products mixed up. And that's pretty much it. And this has been a really interesting discussion. So I just want to finish off by asking you for two small favours before you hit that stop button or before you skip to the next episode. And first, if you are loving what we're doing, so if you're currently binging our entire back catalogue of podcasts, but you haven't yet engaged with us in the Vegan Business Tribe community, then I would love to to see you over on the Vegan Business Tribe website. As I said, it's only £12.99 a month and we keep the membership as low as we can so we can help as many vegan businesses as we can. But it also means that you're also allowing us to keep producing this podcast, all our weekly content, our courses and our regular online events and meetups. And if you think you're just not ready yet, so maybe you've just got an idea for a vegan business but you haven't launched then you'll be far more successful if you surround yourself with other people who are on the same journey as you are and you might actually learn how they launched and take some of that on board and all of our new members also get a 30 minute one-to-one zoom chat with myself and lisa so that we can also learn about your business and see how we can support you and then I said I had two favours, so one more coming up. The second favour that I wanted to ask, 
If you find this podcast useful, then I would love it if you can first make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. And then if your platform allows it, so if you're listening on iTunes especially, if you can leave us a five-star review, then you are going to be my hero because this really helps us start to get noticed by the algorithms and to get the platforms to start recommending us to more people. So thank you for your time. I always hugely appreciate you giving up your time to listen. It really means a lot to us. And I will see you on the next one.